The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. I've got to say that's a bit of a misnomer because uh, this is the one to, uh, we're talking to today is not really an Explorer. It's, uh, well, it is and it isn't, but it's definitely moving on the uh, development pathway. I'm talking about Challenger Gold in Latin America. It has two copper gold, uh, well, gold copper projects in Argentina, Argentina and Ecuador. Uh, which uh, costs the both of them, there's a combined 7.2 million ounce resource, which is all very interesting because uh, Challenger is trading under the code CEL at around 9.1 cents at the moment for a market cap of $108 million. So there's a bit of a disconnect there. Um, Challenger's not alone in suffering that disconnect, but we'll talk about that in a moment with uh, Chris Kanoa, the CEO and director. G'day, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. G'day, Barry, and thanks for having me. Great. Uh, it's uh, been a while since we uh, caught up. Uh, things are progressing nicely. Let's start with the uh, well, the flagship project, Walilan, in uh, the San Juan province there in Argentina. What's the latest there? Yeah, so look, flagship Walilan project, 2.8 million ounce resource. Importantly, there's a high-grade core there of 1.6 million ounces at five. We're head down in a scoping study at the moment. Scoping study is due shortly, and really that'll show sort of, you know, that it is Argentina's next mine. In the current climate, I think that scoping study's got to tick quite a few boxes. It's got to tick the low-cost box. It's got to tick the low-startup capital box. I think it needs to be at least 100,000 ounces a year production, and I'm yeah, my expectations are when we put that out that we'll tick those boxes and the market should be pleased with it. Right. So the focus uh, is very much on the high-grade core initially. Yes, it is. I mean, look, I think if we try to turn Walilan into something producing, you know, 200, 250,000 ounces a year from a big open pit with a $300 million startup capital in this climate, I just don't think we'd fund it. So it, it's silly to even try. Yeah, we need something that you know, we can demonstrate to the market. We can build and operate, and you know, and that that sort of high grade case, you know, it'll still throw out a lot of cash flow every year. It's you know, it's a lovely project. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, now there is an evolving uh, exploration story near Walilan. Um, there's a couple of uh, prospects that you've referred to uh, recently uh, within well, two and ten k's of uh, Walilan itself. What's uh, what's the story there? Yeah, so look, Walilan, we've got that 2.8 million ounces on about three kilometres of strike. When you sort of step back and look at the region and, you know, our tenement footprint, we've got about 30 kilometres of strike. So you're not going to have, you know, Walilans everywhere, but we're going to have to be unlucky if you don't find another Walilan. Uh, we were really jammed with, you know, nine rigs going up until four months ago, so we didn't have time to do any regional work. We've now got rid of the rigs and started that regional work three or four months ago. And, you know, look, it's throwing up some really exciting targets. You know, we're getting assays back every day, so it's a moving feast. But, you know, the sort of main targets are two kilometres north of the resource. We found some 30-gram material at surface in old workings, and when we went and had a closer look, 
those old workings actually extend from the northern boundary of the resource another two k's and then 10 kilometres sort of further north the resort the resource in a new area it looks like a repeat of the Wallyland stratigraphy we've got some 50 gram material at surface when you actually pan it and look at it under the microscope it's really angular which tells you the gold hasn't traveled far yeah. the way that sets up is the gold the high grade gold actually wraps around over you know over a kilometer wraps around the edge of this circular feature that's about two kilometres in diameter, that's high in or anomalous in copper and molybdenum at surface. So we think that's potentially the top of a, a copper moly porphyry system, which is not uncommon in Argentina and this, you know, this part of Argentina, with the high-grade gold wrapping around the edge of it, which is similar to sort of the model we've got at Walilan. Then, you know, there's some new areas, 2K to the east, where, you know, only in the last week we found a series of old workings with graded surface. It's, yeah, you know, we're going to come up with I think some really interesting targets along that thirty kilometres of strike. Yeah. And, you know, as soon as we get them ready to drill, we'll get a, a rig in there, and I think that's the key for us to add value. You know, one hole at you know twenty metres at two or three, and our share price doubles overnight. Mm. Now, before moving on to uh, Ecuador, um, I mentioned in the introduction there this uh, disconnect and challenges not alone, where we're seeing uh, juniors uh, being left behind. The gold producers have taken off in in response to 1950 US gold and expectations that the turning of the interest rate cycle will see $2,000 announced before long. Is there any particular issues at the at Challenger or is it just a, a general market disconnect for the juniors? No, look, I think it's really a market disconnect. There's a good sort of chart that's been put together by a fund manager that shows that. And really what's happened is, you know, eight or nine months ago, the gold stock started to take off and, they, you know, the producers have re-rated, you know, 50 to 60%, whereas, you know, the basket of gold explorers are all down another 20 or 30% from there. You know, you look at your typical South American explorers, they're all down, you know, they're more than down 60%. It, you know, it, it's not us, it's across the board. You know, when we were raising this money about a month ago, the brokers put or approach three or four funds that will normally invest in companies like us to put them behind the wall. And the, the theme was, we're simply not investing in anything that's under a billion dollar market cap. Mm. Don't even want to know the name of the company. <laughs> so, you know, that that sort of tells you, I think, what that disconnect is like. And, and look, it, it'll turn, it'll turn quickly. But at the moment, you know, this is as tough as I've seen it for you know, probably my whole time in the market. Yeah. I guess uh, there probably is a, a Latin American factor in there too, because if you placed Wallilan in WA somewhere, the, uh, I would say the market cap would be multiples of where it is now. Um, is there some confusion about what Argentina's like as a place to operate? But oh, look, I mean, th there is a bit of confusion. I mean, firstly, you know, San Juan was recently ranked the number one. San Juan is the province we're in in Argentina. It was recently ranked the number one mining jurisdiction in South America. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it's ranked ahead of Ecuador, ranked ahead of Chile. Um, having said that, at the moment in Argentina, you've got 100% inflation and you've got challenges getting money out of the country. And, and I think probably the biggest re-rating milestone for us, expiration aside, is going to be the upcoming elections in October where you know, even if the incumbents win, sort of the, the view now is that they need to float the peso you know, take their medicine, get inflation under control. And, you know, I know talking to sort of Canaccord's head of LATAM the other week, you've now got a couple of the you know, biggest South American hedge funds are starting to place bullish bets in Argentina. 
on the back of that election and changing policy. So I, I think, you know, people see 100% inflation and think, well, it must be impossible to operate. You know, I don't think they look at the fact that, you know, we drilled 220,000 metres in Argentina over the past two years in that exact environment and, you know, we operated without too much of a drama. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, it didn't hurt the uh, Argentinian case recently when BHP spent, what was seven, $800 million US buying a lithium, undeveloped lithium project in Argentina. So they would have taken the big long-term picture and said, well, Argentina's uh, a good place to be operating. Yeah, no, look, I agree. And, you know, what you've got is you've got some short-term negative sentiment. You've got the explorers have all, you know, really struggling. You've got the South American factor. You know, it's come together for the perfect storm for us. Having said that, if you've got a longer-term time frame, it's really a perfect storm of how do you enter into a stock at, you know, cents in the dollar mm-hmm. to what it's really worth as well, I suppose. Yeah, if... Uh... Again, just uh, basing it on uh, Wallilan, the your EV uh, per ounce uh, metric must be one of the lowest of uh, your peers on the ASX. Yeah, and look, I think you're right to base that EV on Wallilan only. So, you know, EV, you know, based on Wallilan only is, you know, $35 an ounce. You look at your typical WA and developers, not producers, and they're generally trading at $100, $120 an ounce. So, yeah, what you say is correct. If we were in, you know, backyard western australia i think we would have a very different share price well at least uh, you've got some uh, re-rating events coming up the scoping study and what comes of that uh, more regional exploration yeah and then look we'll roll straight to a pre-feasibility study as well and i think it was really that pre-fees too which had companies like de gray and bellevue really re-rated as well mm-hmm. okay. but, yeah look it, it should be a, it'll be a good no- next nine or so months for um challenger shareholders Okay, so we'll get to see the scoping study before long and then what, you'll roll straight into a bankable feasibility study? Yeah, we will. What we'll do is um, we've sort of had a bit of a win on the Met where it looks like heap leach now for the big low-grade halo around it is probably an option. Mm-hmm. So we've got a couple of months worth of, you know, metallurgical test work on the heap leach option. Look, we've started already. Um, that'll take another 60 to 90 days. Yeah, so we'll get all our prep work done. We'll get that back and then we'll roll into the pre-fees. You know, I think we should have that pre-fees finished late quarter one, early quarter two next year. You know, we're funded to get through that and then another sort of, you know, four to six months after that. All right. So if all goes uh, according to plan, the what sort of target date would you have for, you know, for first financing and uh, then com- commencement of uh, construction? Yeah, so look, finish that pre-fees, say April. The aim would be to run through a bankable, you know, feasibility study in 12 months, given we've done most of the prep work. So you're looking at sort of financing, you know, sometime mid-2025. You know, there's a couple of other options there where, depending on the process route, there's some secondhand plants sitting around in Argentina at the moment. So, you know, that's one of the reasons the scoping study is going to take a little bit longer than, you know, we'd hope simply because given those options around, we, we want to incorporate those options into it as well. You know, there could be, a, you know, it's already going to be a fairly low capex startup, but you could have an ability there where you do the right deal on a secondhand plant and you potentially start it up, you know, a lot more cheaply and a lot quicker than, you know, the market thinks you can. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, let's uh, shift focus to Ecuador, southern Ecuador, where you have a, a, a much larger resource, uh, lower grade, uh, porphyry style. What, uh, what's, what's going on there? 
Yes, yeah, so look, at the moment, we've put out that first resource, four and a half million ounces at a half a gram gold equivalent, which is predominantly gold. That's from two, two and a half of sort of seven major anomalies. You know, we sit next to a 20 million ounce ore body. It's, you know, we've got the other half of the system. You know, I have no doubt that by the time we finish drilling this out, we end up with, you know, 20 million ounces, just like Lumina Gold, have at Kangrekos. Mm-hmm. The challenge right now is it's a terrible market. The market is not valuing assets in South America, particularly if they're porphyries. So right now, you know, that four and a half million ounce resource has a high grade core of a million ounces at 1.2. We couldn't get that to surface basically because we were sort of drilling on top of a hill. You couldn't get a rig up there. So we're doing a program of surface channel sampling. The aim is to get that high grade component, another 200 metres up dip to surface and significantly improve that. And then really, you know, we're running a program in Ecuador of looking for some external funding. I think if I was to turn around and say, you know, we're spending half of the cash we've got left drilling Ecuador, you know, shareholders would hate it. The market's just not valuing for free. So the focus for us is we can get some external funding into Ecuador, you know, be it a royalty, be it, you know, an IPO onto a different exchange or, um, you know, a a group investing some money directly into the subsidiary, then we advance Ecuador. If not, the sensible thing right now is to just you know, park it up mm-hmm. and focus on getting Walilan into production and circle back to Ecuador once we've got a cash flow that actually supports whatever we need to do in Ecuador. Yeah. Now, you mentioned your neighbour there, uh, Lumina Gold, uh, TS, TSX listed. And I see they re- you're talking about financing options there. They, I see they recently raised uh, US $300 million through a gold stream financing deal. Yeah, no, they did. And, and, you know, look, I think that tells you Ecuador is open for business. And if you've got a, you know, a big gold resource, you can finance it. Um, you know, from our point of view, you know, they've got a market cap of $250 million on the TSX, which is, you know, more than double our market cap. And, you know, we've got a quarter of what they've got. And I think we end up with exactly what they've got. So that gives shareholders an idea of the kind of value we can add in Ecuador, mm. but again, you know, we've got to do that very sensibly in the current market because I think, you know, one of the attractions for us right now is we've got a 12-month runway. You know, if all of a sudden we had to raise more money in four or five months because I've gone and, you know, drilled a bunch more holes and not create any value, then, mm. you know, th- that's why I think the strategy's got to be focused on the high-grade asset that will get into production quickly and then circle back and add value into Ecuador a little bit later in the piece. But, you know, right. it's a great yeah. resource in Ecuador. Now, I can remember, Chris, uh, a while back, you mentioning that the overall arching strategy was to uh, work work the deposits up to, uh, you know, a saleable sort of scale um, and uh, take the billion dollars and move on. That's still the overarching strategy. Uh, look, things have changed. I mean, in terms of a, you know, that was back when we thought, you know, Wallilan was likely to be a large open pit, mm-hmm. which needed, you know, three, four hundred million dollars to get it in production. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look, I'm an exploration geologist. I haven't built a mine. I don't have the skill set. Can't hide from that. You sort of fast forward 18 months and, you know, probably the key part is we've got on board Mike Zivik. Uh, Mike, we pinched him from Barrick. He was running the 400,000 ounce a year Valerado gold mine in San Juan for Barrick Gold. Right. So, you know, Mike provides that mining expertise. He wants to build Walilan. He wants to operate it. He's actually based in San Juan. So, you know, you've got the expertise which changes things. And also, it's not a three or $400 million project where we're sitting here thinking, how the hell do we raise that money? 
Mm. It's a sort of 100 to $130 million project with, you know, potential options in country to do something more cheaply with second-hand gear. Mm. And, you know, you think, well, gee, if we get a one-year payback, then, you know, really the best way to shareholders to add value is to put it in production rather than sort of in the current climate, sell the thing for 30 cents in the dollar. Yeah, true. Very yeah, true. Now, for a company of uh, challenger size and market cap, a very interesting shareholder base. You've got some BlackRock, the biggest of them all, of course. And I see Queens Road Capital's there and uh, yourself, 8.5%. So a very supportive uh, shareholder base. Yeah, no, look, BlackRock have been really good. I mean, BlackRock came again pro rata in the raise we did about a month ago. I think they understand the market. They get there's a disconnect and, you know, their comments have been, you know, focus on Wallilan, don't spend too much money on Ecuador in the current climate and, mm. you know, deliver on your milestones and the share price will end up looking after itself. And, yeah, Queen's Road too. I mean, they're a convertible note group. You know, they're long only. They did a lot of DD. They had a site visit. They put us through the hoops, you know, probably more than you know, a gold company would. And, you know, where they are is they're now actively saying to me, look, you know, we need to average down. I think their price is 25. So, you know, that also gives me the backstop that I know there's another round of funding there if the market is terrible in, you know, 12 months. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, I had my own commentary there on the gold price and the copper price. What, uh, what do you make of those, of those two? Um, I mean, look, I think it's generally trending up. I think as soon as this, you know, tightening cycle finishes, gold takes off. I mean, having said that too, you know, look, my job is to make sure that Wallilan makes money at $1,400 gold or, you know, $2,000 gold. And if gold's higher, then that's just a bonus. I mean, mm. what, what what are your thoughts on it, Barry? I'd love to know what you think. Oh, I think the interest rate cycle has turned and it wouldn't surprise to see, no guarantee in any of this, of course, but it wouldn't surprise to see $2,000 plus gold late this year, early next year, something like that. And copper, well... You know, it's four dollars a pound. It could be five dollars a pound. We've had uh, quoting BHP again. Um, they talk about that twenty twenty five tipping point in copper, where um, demand will be outstripping uh, supply uh, to a large degree and growing. And there just isn't the money going into new developments to close that gap. So copper could be anything in two or three years' time. Which I guess dovetails nicely with your sort of uh, development planning. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, you know, look, what um, Ecuador, we've got 0.1% copper. You know, it, it's sort of valuable copper byproduct. And, you know, I'd love to be factoring in, you know, $5 copper, not sort of $2.50 copper into a resource cow. Mm. Maybe you should uh, recast yourself as, uh, and start uh, announcing things on a copper equivalent basis. <laughs> uh, you know, look, uh, the, the problem we've got there in Ecuador is, you know, 75% of the value is gold. I'd probably have to answer a few questions from the ASX if I start selling it as a copper equivalent project. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Okay. All right, Chris, um, a lot coming down the roadway. So let's give investors a feel for what are going to be the key milestones in the next six months or so. Yeah, so look, key milestones are scoping study in Wallilan, and I think that's important. You know, I hear feedback from some of the funds that, you know, look, the underground doesn't hang together. You'll never make this work as an underground mine. You know, I think all will, will be revealed when that's out shortly. Mm -hmm. um, other milestones are regional exploration at Wallilan. You know, we're about 60 days away from having all of these regional targets tied up. You know, there's some really nice looking you know, anomalies popping out of there, which is what we expected, but it's nice to actually do the work and see that the anomalies are there. 
And, you know, I think first drilling on some of those better looking anomalies is potentially significant event as well and then you know potentially you see something happen with ecuador where you know it's funded externally rather than non-dilutive i think that that's helpful as well so they're the three key milestones in the next six months okay and always like to extract some cultural learning from uh, these discussions wally lan um doesn't look anything like it's spelt uh, what does it actually mean wally lan so wally lan in the old argentinian native language means mountain of gold Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> which, you know, pretty much what it is. <laughs> yeah, excellent. All righty, uh, Chris, as always, a very interesting discussion. Um, company poised for uh, some major re-rating events in the months ahead and um, hopefully co- coincides with uh, gold pushing over 2000 bucks and copper doing what it's, uh, everyone expects it will be doing. So with that, Chris, thanks for your time again. Good luck with it all. Be watching with interest. Thank you very much, Barry. Pleasure. Cheers. Cheers.